Hey, how about Redeemer Worship? Man, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you, Melody. Thank you, choir, for, for leading us. There was a moment there where the choir was singing the bridge of O Come All Ye Faithful, and Connor was doing his Phil Collins thing on the toms, and I was like, just inject it into my veins. This is uh, just thank you guys for, for leading us in worship. My name is Jordan Strebeck. I am one of your non-staff elders here at Redeemer. So I'm not a professional. I don't, I don't do this for a living. I didn't even stay at a Holiday Inn last night. So uh, take it easy on me. Uh, but this week I get the distinct joy and honor of continuing our sermon series through Advent with you. And I made the terrible mistake this morning of wearing a vest, which has two pockets, which means that I'm going to be constantly fighting myself to remember not to put my hands in my pockets. So vest weather is the best weather, I like to say, and I'm, I'm living proof of that. So let me begin with just a minute walking through Advent and sort of what Advent is, why it should matter to us. Advent's not something that you see in Scripture specifically. It's not, there's not a specific command that you should observe Advent and have Don and Beverly come light the Advent candles. And a, a lot of this is really comes, stems from tradition in the church, things that we've observed for generations, for centuries. We get the term Advent. Uh, from the Latin word adventus, uh, which means coming or arrival. And it's really important in our faith uh, for a few reasons. For, first of all, it, it helps us celebrate, okay? So it helps us celebrate that our God is a God who keeps his promises. And uh, by observing Advent, we get to recall the sort of the expectant waiting that the people of God had in preparation for the coming of the Messiah across centuries, across generations. So we celebrate, we also remember. We remember what God's people would have felt like all those years, waiting for the Messiah to come, knowing that God would keep his promise and believing it and longing for it to be so, but not knowing when or how it would happen or what it might look like. See. We get to celebrate the birth of Jesus with the benefit of hindsight, knowing what he would come and do. But the people of God didn't always have that benefit. And so we get to remember what they would have felt like in that waiting. Third, we get to anticipate Christ's return in the same way that Israel anticipated the coming of the Messiah. We get to anticipate and expect that he will come again. And then lastly, it helps point our hearts to Jesus and helps us dwell on him or fix our eyes on him, especially in this time of year, in this season where it can be easy and where the world would love for us to fix our eyes and our affections on anything but Jesus. It helps us dwell on him. So for hundreds of years, those who have come before us in the faith have observed this season. And, 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 and as Jason, Jason mentioned last week, it's usually broken up into four themes. Um, love. I'm sorry, hope. Hope comes first. Just checking, making sure you're still awake. Hope, 
peace, love, and joy. And this week we get to spend some time talking about peace. But before, before we get down to, to brass tacks, I do have to give some disclosure uh, I've, I've told you before when I've preached, I am extremely prone to movie references and sports references, and those things are true, although I've tried to minimize them in today's sermon. But what you may also know about me, if you know me well, is that I am a huge sucker for a good dad joke. I got four kids. Uh, I kind of, at this point, have my PhD in dad jokes. I'm not a Mormon, but I'm close. Um, it's okay. You can laugh at it. It's okay. It's all right. But I love a good dad joke. I, I do. I love it. The cornier, the better. That's one of the reasons that my, my dude Gibson Gocher and I are such good friends. Gibson may only be 13, but his dad joke game is hashtag fire emoji. It is absolutely off the charts. He got me one time. He hit me with, he said, uh, hey, Jordan, why can't Jesus be in the jewelry business? And I said, why, Gibson? And he said, because he breaks every chain. It's like, dang, Gibson, you got me good. Got me good. And in that same vein, I also love a good corny church sign. I do. I don't know if our new building will have a church marquee. I hope it will. Um, we got a couple good ones. Honk if you love Jesus, text while driving if you want to meet him. That's pretty good, like six out of ten. I give it. Uh, we got this one, a little, little Canadian flavor. God shows no favoritism, but sign guy does. Gold, gold Canucks. I like it. This one I particularly enjoyed. Prophecy class canceled due to unforeseen circumstances. All right. Uh, this isn't a church sign, but come on. You know, I mean, temperature went from 90 to 55 like I saw a state trooper. Some of y'all are like, been there, brother. I've been there. If you're praying for snow, please, please stop. Love it. And this one, this was just, this was, this was pretty good. Too, too hot to keep changing signs. Sin bad. Jesus good. Details details inside. And then this I thought was kind of the Mona Lisa. Whoever stole our AC units, keep one. It is hot where you're going. <laughs> so that's pretty good. And then we got this guy. No Jesus, no peace. No Jesus, no peace. And I know it's a little corny, a little cheesy, but I actually think it's a pretty decent way of framing how we ought to think about peace because true peace flows from Jesus and without him having peace is not something that is possible. Now, given the moment and time that we occupy, I think this is actually an extremely pertinent topic. And I'm not just talking about in the geopolitical sense, but even in that sense, you look at the Middle East, you look at Ukraine, the global geopolitical environment that we live in is as volatile as ever. But I'm talking about even just at a, at a soul level. And if we dig into the data, it would appear to me that we're struggling globally with this idea of peace at an almost unprecedented level. Depression, loneliness, unhappiness, all-time highs. Divorce, um, addiction to substances, addiction to pornography, addiction to technology, all-time highs. Even just the frenetic pace at which we live in today's society is unique. And I don't think anyone would argue with me if I tell you that in today's day and age, we struggle with a distinct lack of peace. So let's 
talk about this and let's start by defining peace, the word peace, and make sure that we're talking about the same, page, same thing that we're on the same page when we use the term peace. Peace is one of those words that gets thrown around a ton. And I don't know what you might think about when you hear the word peace. You might be thinking of like the Camp David Accords. You might be thinking of, of some hippies at Woodstock or like uh, throwing up the peace sign. Or you might be thinking of the peace sign. You might be thinking of, I, I, I don't know what you would be thinking of. As I started preparing this sermon, I may or may not have realized that I end a lot of my conversations by saying peace out. Like that's how like, you know, sort of uh, flippant and vague this term has become. Even in high school, I remember we used to say deuces because we were cool. We'd be like deuces. And that's even that is like, okay, we're, it's a derivative of peace out. So I, I don't know what that word might mean to you, but what's interesting to me is when you look at the way that the world defines peace, it's usually defined by the absence of conflict. That's how the world would think of peace, the absence of conflict or the absence of chaos, the absence of noise, busyness, etc. And it's unique because we don't really treat any other, uh, if you think about even in the, in, the, in the sense of Advent, we don't treat these other terms that way. We don't, we don't identify love as the absence of hate. You could just have indifference. We don't think of joy as the absence of sadness. Again, you could, you could be indifferent. We don't identify winning as the lack of losing because our soccer people would be like, no, there's ties or no draws. I'm sorry, there's draws. I don't like ties. I like, I like black. The only tie I like is Don's bow tie. Don, I do love that. But we do that with peace. It's kind of a unique thing. But I think if we think of peace that way, we'll actually have an incomplete understanding of the word peace and I think that, that that actually is not all that helpful for us. So if we look at the actual word peace in the native text in Scripture, uh, we want to see what Scripture says about it. We also want to see what Jesus says about it. So in Scripture, we're going to see two words translated as peace. In the Old Testament, in the Hebrew, it's going to be shalom. And in the New Testament, uh, in Greek, according to my Logos app, it's going to be pronounced Irene, which just sounds too much like the name Irene to me, but Irene. And what, what we mean here with these two words is not just the absence of conflict, but pointing more towards a, a reconciliation, a fullness, an all-encompassing sort of completeness or rightness. This idea sort of harkens to things being, being right or as they should be on, on every plane, both between us and God's creation, like, like nature, the natural decay of our bodies, all of those things, it points to a rightness with us and our fellow man, and most importantly, uh, between us and God. That's this term, shalom. When you see that in Isaiah, Prince of Peace, that word shalom, that's what it's talking about. And we have a pretty good idea of what this true, full, complete peace would look like because it existed in Eden prior to the fall. Adam and Eve were in complete shalom, with God's creation, with, with nature, all right? We had no stickers, uh, which for me, I'm like, praise God, no stickers. We're in good shape, no mosquitoes. We're in good shape, or maybe there were mosquitoes, but they were cool and didn't come, didn't come mess with you. No dust storms, no cancer. I'm gonna assume with a good, loving God, there was no humidity. 
Um, they, were, they were at peace with one another. There was no conflict. There was no greed. There was no stealing. There was no selfishness. And they were in community with God. All was at peace. There was joy. There was love. There was a fullness. There was a peace. And this peace was not just because there was a lack of conflict or a lack of strife, but because there was a full unity, a closeness with God. Now, as soon as they believed the lies of the serpent and broke that shalom, that peace, they were immediately subject to to shame, to worry, to pain, to, to the effects of sin. There was separation from God, and that flowed down into brokenness in every part of life. And this is pretty critical, I think, in us understanding peace, because just as peace in the, in the global sense between man and God's creation, between man and fellow man and man and God, flowed from peace with God, so that peace between man and everything else was broken when peace with God was broken. All right, that's an important distinction for us to understand. And for things to ever truly be at peace again, it will have to flow out of permanent reconciliation of that brokenness through sin that was introduced when Adam and Eve believed those lies. And what's great about Advent and what's great about how we should think about peace in this season is that we know and we can believe and trust that Jesus came 2,000 years ago And he came to make a final peace between us and the Father. And we know that he will come again. And when he does, it will be a final conquering that will bring with it a full and final and complete peace for those who have called on the name of Jesus. And we get to celebrate that in Advent. So I do think it's important that we have that comprehensive of understanding of peace and what it is and that it's not just the absence of conflict because if we're too narrow if we're too small and how we think about it it can really have some negative downstream effects you actually saw this in Jesus's day the reason that a lot of the leaders in the Jewish church missed Jesus was that they had too narrow an understanding too small an understanding of peace yeah, they were focused on peace in the worldly sense. They thought more in the definition that we touched on earlier. They, they thought that the Messiah was going to come and usher in a, an era of peace through the physical kingdom, through, through uh, restoring the nation of Israel, through restoring and freeing the Jewish people and making them back into a geopolitical superpower, if you will. They had too small too incomplete a view of peace and of the peace that Jesus came to bring. They had too small, too incomplete a view of what it meant to be the prince of peace. See, Jesus didn't just come to stop war or to end famine or disease or to restore an earthly kingdom. He says as much in Matthew 10, 34, Jesus says, I did not come to bring peace to the earth. Now, make no mistake about it. He's going to do those things, all right? There will come a day where everything will be made right. But when he came 2,000 years ago, he came to bring a much more important foundational peace, one that has to happen first. Peace in our souls 
and right standing and reconciliation between us and God. I love what Jesus said in John 14, 27. In his final hours with his disciples, he told them this. He said, peace I, live, I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Now, as we look at that, and as we wrestle with this idea of peace, I want us to ask ourselves two questions this morning. One, what is special about Jesus' peace? What defines Jesus' peace that he's talking about here? And the second is, is your life marked by that peace? So on this first question, what's special, what's unique, what's going on with Jesus' peace? A couple of things. One, it is given by Jesus, okay? It's given by Jesus. He says it right there. My peace I give to you. It's his peace. It's Jesus' peace, and he's giving it to us, okay? There's no, uh, this, this is not something that we earn. It's not something that we deserve. Uh, y- you don't have to have perfect church attendance. You don't have to uh, hit every box on the righteousness bingo card. You just have to receive it. It's his peace, and he's giving it to us. Now, the good thing about that, being the recipient of the peace, not the earner of the peace, is we didn't earn it, we don't deserve it, and we can't lose it. It's his peace. He gives it to us. That's the first thing. It's given by Jesus. The second thing is, it's different. It's different. It's, it's unlike anything else. Jesus even says it right here, not as the world gives do I give to you. We can think of lots of ways in which the world gives peace, right, or which the world attempts to offer us peace of mind, right, safety, right, get a good, get a good set of locks on your doors, have, have good law enforcement, good safe community, get you a ring doorbell camera that your kids can ring 973 times when they're playing tag with the neighborhood kids, get you a nanny cam so you can see what's going on in your kids' rooms, right, Get your concealed carry license. Like we're gonna be, we're gonna be safe. We're gonna be, we're gonna be financially secure. Make sure you got your 401k. Like get, get all saved up. Make sure you've got, you know, your Dave Ramsey uh, emergency buffer fund set aside. Amen. Yeah, that's right. Guilty. Um, man, make sure you've got a refrigerator and a pantry and lots of food. Plenty, of, plenty of food to last. Some of y'all straight up turn into hoarders, and y'all were like, "Not only that, I'm gonna have peace of mind about my toilet paper supply after COVID. I got nine boxes of it in the garage." I see you, Parker. I know. I, I see you. All the ways the world promises peace. Think about them. There, there are dozens. I could go on for ten minutes. The thing about the peace that the world promises us, that the world offers us, is it depends on externalities. It is completely circumstantial. And what Jesus is talking about here is a peace that does not. He's talking about a peace that supersedes all, that's around even when all those things go away. If there is no point in having a ring doorbell cam because we're in World War III, if there is, if your bank account gets wiped out, if the medicine doesn't work, if things go terribly, horribly wrong, that's the kind of peace that Jesus is talking about here, a peace that, that lasts even in those scenarios. 
Case in point, here's Jesus, okay, telling his disciples this in, in verse 27. He's telling them, he's, he's just got done telling them he's going to be taken from them. He, he knows what's around the corner from them, and yet he's talking about this peace that he is giving them, that he doesn't want their hearts to be troubled or afraid. Well, guess what? In the world's definition of peace, they should be troubled and afraid. It makes no sense that they would not be troubled or afraid. Jesus got done telling them that this guy that they have spent, that they've given everything to follow, he's just been like, hey, one of you is going to betray me. Sorry. Another one of you is going to deny me. We're just going to play some roulette with this whole deal here. It's going to, I'm about to leave you. It's like, this is all very confusing, very terrifying. It ought to be scary. They should be worried. So for Jesus to say, don't let your hearts be troubled, do not be afraid. That doesn't make any sense unless their hearts are filled with his peace. And this is exactly what Paul meant in Philippians 4, 7 when he talked about the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. It doesn't make any sense to the world. This is the second thing about Jesus' peace is it's different. And the third thing about it is it's for our hearts. It's for our hearts. The peace of Jesus that Jesus is talking about here is not that he's going to come and make everything perfect around you. That's not yet. That's coming, but it's not yet. It's for our hearts. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. He doesn't say don't be troubled. Jesus knows full and well that the rest of his disciples' lives are going to be troubled by the world's terms. None of them are going to wind up retiring at their lake house and living, you know, this nice, quiet life. Their lives will be marked by trouble. But what does he say? He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. The other key thing about this is the witness that it gives us when our hearts aren't troubled, when our hearts aren't afraid, irrespective of what's going on around us, that calmness, that joy, that peace that comes with that gives a massive testimony to those around us. Man, that family just, just lost their dad to cancer. Why in the world are they not freaking out? The, that family, somebody just lost their job. They're going to they're gonna have to sell their house. Why are they not, why does that not bother them more? That peace gives a massive witness in our lives. So the third thing is it's for our hearts. And then that second question that I'd ask you is, is your life marked by this peace? Is this peace evident in your life? What should this look like for us as believers? If we all, if we know and we believe that the peace of Christ is given freely to us and that it, that it never fails, that his will is perfect, irrespective of what's going on in our lives or, or in the world, we can trust his plan and our hearts will be at peace. See, we have to remember, church, that this is a promise and that God always keeps his promises. And we have to trust him in that. When he says he is giving us his peace, he means it. He means it. And he'll give it to you. When scripture tells us uh, that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, he means it. It's actually true. And it's incumbent upon you and me to believe it. We have to believe this. We have to trust 
in this. And the crazy thing about this, y'all, is that the more that we believe him and we believe that he's good and that we trust that he, he'll do what he says he'll do, guess what? Our hearts are more at peace. And the more that our hearts are at peace, the more we trust and the more that we believe and the more that we trust and we believe, the more our hearts are at peace. And this cycle keeps going and it keeps going and round and round it goes as we grow in trusting, as we grow in our faith. So we have to trust him in spite of whatever circumstances are going on around us, in spite of the political climate of the day, in spite of war, famine, disease, you name it, we have to trust that he has given us his peace. And I think for me personally, and some of y'all can probably relate to this, what this looks like when I'm not believing this, or even I just, I struggle sometimes. I believe it up here and I know it's true. I have a tough time believing it right here. And what it looks like for me when I'm forgetting that truth, when I'm not trusting in that, is it kind of looks like, and I think in this season of life, it, it, like being Christmas season, I think that some of y'all could probably relate to this, this kind of low-grade anxiety. It's like maybe like a 3 out of 10 or a 5 out of 10. Some of you are like, brother, I'm a 12 out of 10. Uh, I don't know what you're talking about. Some of you are like, man, I haven't had a care in the world since 93, man. I'm a 1 out of 10. Get out of here. Uh, but this kind of low-grade anxiety that's like, okay, all right, what am I missing? What do I need to do? What's next? Where do, we, where do I need to go? Okay, we got this kid has this thing going on. I got to get this thing at work. I mean, I will, I will sit there and I will I'll worry about things that I can't control in a million years. I'll sit there and be like, man, national debt's getting high. You know what I mean? Like, I know we're going to pay that off, you know? Like, I, you know, during COVID, I, I caught myself a couple times, maybe 50 times, maybe 50 times a day, like looking at my phone, checking the price of oil, refreshing the price of oil. Like, brother, you can't do anything about the price of oil. Like 21.45, can we get to 21.46? We got it, we did it. Oh, we're at 21.30, man. Um, but I'll, I'll just have this kind of low-level hum. Matt Chandler would talk about it in the sense that like your base-level RPMs, where you're sitting when you're just like at the stoplight, those RPMs get a little elevated. And then all of a sudden, you're a little more prone to snap, you know, something that like isn't that big of a deal happens, and you're like, golly, son, like pick up your dishes. And he's like, I, I, I'm still eating. I'm, why would I? Easy, dad. You snap at people at work, you snap at your wife, you, 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 you kind of just feel real chaotic, real sped up. I struggle with that sometimes. Even, even preparing for this sermon on peace, which is ironic. I was like, man, I'm behind. I was like, ah, this isn't clear enough. It's not making enough sense. So what do we do as believers when we're struggling with that, when we're wrestling with that, when we feel, when our clock feels sped up, when we wrestle with those fears, when we wrestle with those anxieties, even if, even if a lot of them are like perfectly logical and reasonable? What are we supposed to do? I'm, I'm not up here to tell you that you need to just do a little Marie Kondo in your life and like, you know, cut out a bunch of stuff and, and try to get less stressed. I'm not telling you to withdraw and go live in a lovely monastery in the mountains where you can be free from the cares of the world and have a bubbling brook, uh, you know, greeting you every morning while you journal. 
No, I, I'm not here even to give you some good life hacks for how to simplify your life and reduce your stress, partially because I don't have any and partially because I don't think that's really what we're after here. Now look, I, I, I think there are some no-brainer changes that you and I, probably each of us need to make in our lives on a practical level to live in a more Godward, peaceful manner. There are probably boundaries that you need to set, maybe a tough conversation or two that you need to have. There's definitely some hidden sin in our lives that we need to root out, habits that we need to form, habits that we need to break, obligations that we maybe say yes to just out of wanting to please people or wanting people to think that we're great and awesome, that we need to check our motivations on. There are all those things that we need to be considering, but ultimately, this, this conversation about peace can't just be a conversation about the practical. It also has to be about how we cultivate a deep abiding affection for and trust in the goodness of God that results in a level of peace. Like I'm talking like deep, deep in our bones that surpasses all understanding. A peace that allows us, you and I, in spite of what our circumstances may be, good or bad, to say with a joyful heart that it is well with my soul. And that even if whatever is in front of me, even if I know full well it may not be resolved this side of heaven, it might not go the way that I desperately want it to go. It might break my heart. Even if I don't know how things are going to work out for my good and for God's glory, I know and I trust that ultimately one day it will. And in that, you and I can rest in peace. So how do we do that? How do we, how do we cultivate that? Well, I, I think a good place to start actually is that same framework that we laid out at the beginning of the sermon with respect to Advent. We celebrate, okay? We, we celebrate that we serve a God who keeps his promises and whose will is perfect, and we celebrate the fact that we can trust him. And as we celebrate that, we remember. We remember who God is and that he's good, and we remember how he's delivered his people over and over again. We remember how he sent his only son to live a perfect life, to die the death that you and I had rightfully earned and rightfully deserved. He sent him to die in our place so that we could have everlasting life with him. We remember that. And we anticipate, we wait expectantly knowing that he has come. And knowing that he will come again and that when he comes again, it will be the complete and full restoration of shalom, of true and complete peace on every plane imaginable. It will not just be the end of war, of hatred, sickness, greed, suffering, racism, abortion, addiction, disease, famine, hunger, poverty. It won't just be those things. It will be a complete reconciliation of God and his creation. 
It will one day be as it was intended to be. And he is coming to bring that final peace, church, and we can anticipate that. And lastly, we can dwell. We can dwell on those truths. When the going gets tough, when the chaos and the noise gets fast and loud, we can be a people who dwell on Jesus, who rest in him and who turn our eyes to him. And in his presence, it's not that those things go away. It's it's not that those things cease to exist, that the troubles of the world cease to exist. But as the old hymn says, they grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And as we dwell, as we seek his presence, we ask the Holy Spirit for his peace to be present in our hearts, even if it's not present in our world yet. And we believe that he'll give it. And that, church, is how we live a life marked by peace. So as we close, Jonathan and the band are going to come, and they're going to play a little bit as we respond. We're going to be able to take communion. And I'd encourage you to to take a moment and assess your soul. Don't, don't shift to singing mode yet. You can have time to sit right where you are, to have some time in prayer. If you, if you need, if you want to pray with somebody, we've got prayer benches here at the front. I encourage you to just take a minute and take stock of your soul. Is your life marked by Christ's peace? What lies do you need to stop believing and what truths do you need to start believing if your life is going to be marked by peace? And as we do that, as we rest, Redeemer, I I pray that we would be a people that in spite of what may be going on in our lives, in spite of what might be going on in our world, that we would be a church, that we would be a people whose hearts and whose lives are marked by peace. Would y'all pray with me? Father, we, we thank you for the fact that you have given us your peace. Lord, we rest in that this morning. Would we rest in that this week when things appear to be spinning out of control? Would we rest in that when in good times? Would we rest in that in hard times? God, this morning, uh, would you help us take stock? Would you help us take inventory of our hearts? of what needs to be shifted around if we're going to be a people that rests in your peace. And would you do that for our good, that your name would be made much of for your glory. It's your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Church. If you want to connect with us at Redeemer, we would love for you to visit us at a service in person or visit us online at www.redeemermidland.org.